today on Filmmaker Freedom, an in-depth interview with Mike Dion. Now, Mike's not a household name in the film community, but to my mind, he's one of the true pioneers of indie film entrepreneurship. In fact, since 2010, Mike has put out a handful of feature films that appeal to an extremely small, extremely niche audience. But as the saying goes, it's not the size of the niche that matters, it's how you use it. And to that point, Mike has managed to make a pretty damn good living for himself, all without film festivals, distributors, sales agents, or really any middlemen whatsoever. Instead, Mike has figured out how to sell directly to his fans, put on his own theatrical tours, create cool physical products, the whole nine yards. He even created something that he calls the whole worldwide premiere, where he creates an amazing in-person event to screen his film for the first time, inviting lots of people and so on. But then he live streams it out to the world and charges for access, creating this really compelling in-person and online event that he's able to make some pretty substantial revenue from. Point is, Mike has been on the cutting edge of direct distribution for a long time, and today you get to hear his full story and get the inside scoop on some of the strategies that he's used to make the films that he loves and make a living completely independent of the industry. So let's get to it. Hey friend, welcome to Filmmaker Freedom. This is a show for ambitious indie filmmakers who want to make work they're proud of, build audiences, cut out the middlemen, and earn a damn good living selling directly to their fans. My name is Rob Hardy, and I'm a filmmaker and a marketing consultant who's worked with a number of brands and startups to help them connect with online audiences and grow their businesses. Now, in the solo episodes of this show, I like to share direct lessons that I've learned from that experience and help you build an audience and sell your films. But truth be told, my perspective is far from the only one. That's why I like to balance those shows out with long-form interviews with other entrepreneurial indie filmmakers. The goal is to share conversations that are really substantive, inspiring, and genuinely honest and transparent because there's just not enough transparency in the world of indie film, especially when it comes to the business side of things. And one last thing before we begin, I just want to thank my good friends over at Musicvine for sponsoring this show. Over the years, I've used just about every music licensing platform out there, and I can say without hesitation that Musicvine is at the very top of my list. The quality and uniqueness of the music are outstanding. The prices are reasonable, and the design and functionality of their website are second to none. It's just a pure pleasure to use. So if you're a discerning filmmaker who needs quality music, just go to musicvine.com and use the code FILMFREEDOM for 25% off your next order. All right, now let's get into today's interview. Mike, what's up, man? Really glad to have you here. Hey, appreciate it. Good to uh, be chatting with you today. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to start this off with a what will be a new Filmmaker Freedom podcast tradition, and I'm going to call it the Fast Five. And full disclosure, I'm stealing this from another podcaster I admire, but it's essentially five really quick questions to uh, help us get to know you. You game? Uh, let's do it. I uh, We didn't prep for this, but uh, I guess that 
brings excitement to this whole thing. Exactly. Exactly. So question number one is what's your favorite snack food? <laughs> you know, right now, um, salted cashews and blueberries. Oh, nice. So you got to, and the ratio is like one cashew to like two or three blueberries, like in your mouth at the same time. Is there a ratio where it just, uh, where it just doesn't work anymore? <laughs> Not really, but that's the ratio that yeah. I found that really works just, for me. Just perfection. <laughs> All right. Question number two is what's the last film or show or I don't know, piece of media generally that really, really impressed you? Hmm. I, uh, the great, I think it's called the great hack on Netflix. It's a documentary. That was the last thing. I think I caught that last week and that honestly blew my mind because I think we knew a bit about, you know, what was going on with Facebook and, and, you know, with Brexit and the elections and, and information, um, our information, not so much getting hacked, but just kind of used in, in uh, nefarious or evil, evil kind of ways. So I think that documentary um, actually was the first thing I believe I actually, you know, posted on, on Twitter and Facebook and everything, which is, I haven't done in years. So that honestly, yeah, that hit to my core. That was really well done. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of you posting on Facebook and Twitter, I think you're the one who alerted me to the fact that all, um, all of tool stuff is, or all of tool <laughs> stuff is now, uh, like on Spotify and streaming. And like, I immediately went and just listened to everything because it's long been a, a, just a frustrating thing. Cause I've got, there's all their CDs just buried somewhere, but like, what would I even play those on I don't, anymore? Like <laughs> it's 2019. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 13 years between, uh, between albums and, yeah. um, Oh, and there's a new one coming. Yeah. Yeah. Here in a few weeks, actually, you know, there's almost something unique, perhaps not that I think we should go 13 years in between making films, but, but I think, you know, Tool being such a, you know, an amazing band and then really kind of going away, um, you know, that scarcity aspect and, and because they weren't on streaming platforms, you know, kind of gave them a, a branding um, sort of element that you almost kind of wanted more. So I don't know, there's, there's, you know, maybe some aha moments in there. I don't know that there's any learnings in there that we, we want to replicate other than if you're going to put out product, make sure it's badass. All right. So we've made it through two of the first fast five questions. That's only two. <laughs> Holy crap. It's supposed to be like a rapid fire thing. Okay. Number three, the zombie apocalypse is upon us. It's happening. All your friends, all your family, your pets, they're safe, but you only have time to bring three items from your house. What do you bring to ensure your survival? Bring where? Where am I going? I don't know, man. Into the, into the zombie apocalypse world. You're just a nomad now. Huh? Do I have to defend myself or where? So when you say we're totally safe, we don't have to defend, right? I don't know, man. I don't know. That's, that's, that's a bit out there. Um, I'm going to assume. Hmm. Well, I think since we were just talking about tool, I'll bring, I'll bring the new tool album with me. Um, or not album, whatever it is The you know, make sure I got tool on my, on, on a device I can, I can play. <laughs> um, I don't know if I got my family, I'm good. If my family's safe. I got them. That's uh, that's good for me. 
I'm set. Yeah, got I'm your family, tool, got tool, tool album, and and my friend and my family. All right, I can dig yeah. it. Question number four: If you weren't a filmmaker, entrepreneur, marketer, um, all of the things that you are, you're a lot of different things. Um, but if you weren't all of that, what would you be doing? You know, I oftentimes joke when when all, all that list you mentioned gets overwhelming. I said I should have just been a dentist. So how about a dentist? Yeah. 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 Love it. And <laughs> number five is, um, what's a lesson that you've learned about film, about business? Um, this just made a tremendous impact for you. Just the first one that think, comes to your mind. I think you just say it. You said the word learn. I think you need to constantly be learning. Um, I think that's the key takeaway is always be open to new ideas and and out and be open to perhaps taking a tactic or taking a strategy and then kind of thinking, how can I use this in a new way or a different way? Or from, you know, here's a tactic from this particular industry. How can I potentially use it or hack it to make it work for, for my project or, or my industry or my thing? So I think just that word learning is just constant be constantly be learning and, and absorbing and, and putting those things actually into practice as much as you can. Yeah. That's, I think a perfect segue into, um, into everything else we're going to be talking about over the course of this, because I don't, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but you and I, so you and I got together, what was it 2016 when we first met or somewhere in there here in Denver? Yeah. yeah 15, 16 ish. Yeah. Um, cause I, I saw you putting out a, a bunch of content around your, around your course, the movie marketing method, which we can talk about later. Um, but you and I got together and at the time I was sort of in this, like thinking in, in psychological terms, I was sort of in this like learned helplessness that I think a lot of filmmakers are trapped inside where the system is for lack of a better way to put it, kind of fucked. There's there's very few people making substantive money. Most people are losing money with their indie films. And I, I was just sort of in this state of like, you know, that's that's how the industry is. That's how it is. And um, then you come along with your, with your voodoo, your voodoo magic. <laughs> and we get together, we get coffee. And like a lot of what you told me sort of blew my mind. Like I thought it was crazy at first. I didn't think it would be applicable to all filmmakers because I think that's a barrier that a lot of us put up. But what ended up happening was that you planted a, a seed and over time, cause like I, I work in marketing as well. And I have, I have worked in marketing for, for quite a while. And that seed that you planted essentially helped me bridge the gap between everything that I was doing in the world of marketing and the world of indie filmmaking. And like, for anybody who's like listening to this show now or who's followed me over the past couple of years, like that's been my evolution is combining these two worlds and essentially creating that new path forward for, for filmmakers. And I'm pretty sure I owe all of that to you and this like random thing. So that's, that's crazy. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. 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 And like you obviously are, um, you, so I guess the first thing is thank you for, you're welcome. Yeah. You're very welcome. Yeah. But I mean, like it ties in perfectly to that idea of like um, learning and changing your mind about things, because I think it's it's really easy to get stuck in a stuck in a pattern of saying to yourself, this is how it is. This is how it's always going to be. Um, and I think there's there's a lot of value there in um, essentially learning to change your mind. 
But what I'm what I'm really curious about is, did you have a moment like that yourself where you were like, oh shit, I can combine what I've learned as a, as a marketer and what I want to do as a filmmaker where you were like, you know what, I think I can completely circumvent the system and do my own thing. Like, how did, how did you get to that point? That's a, a really good question. Um, I think, you know, there was no master strategy. I don't think I read a particular book that kind of gave me that aha moment. Um, I think given that the films that I started off making for myself um, kind of fall into, well, cycling, um, kind of the, the sports uh, side of things. I think as a, as a kid, Warren Miller ski films were something that my family and I went to every year. So I think that you, you talked about, you know, planting seeds. I think that seed was perhaps planted with me when I was young, where here we would we would go watch this ski film and there would be hundreds of people in a, in an auditorium and we obviously you know purchased tickets to go to go see this uh, ski film and it was a, a big event and people would they would be giving away a set of skis and, and passes to to the local ski hill and things like that. So I think once the first film Ride the Divide came out and we were at the Vale Film Festival and that film won Best Adventure Film. And, you know, we still put in so much effort to promoting that we were at the Vale Film Festival and we packed the place and, and I'm sitting there going, you know, Vale Film Festival is making, you know, generating all the ticket sales and, and I got nothing. And not only did I get nothing other than, you know, this glass award that said, you know, Best Adventure Film, which was awesome. But, um, but I think then that sort of gave me permission. It's like, okay, one, the film that we created is valuable in that it won an award, people are digging it. So then I think I switched back to what I just described with um, the Warren Miller films going out on tour. So I instantly went back and booked the Boulder Theater in, in Boulder and started promoting that event. And, and I think six weeks later we packed the boulder the boulder theater and i think that was really the the moment that it's like okay this works there's something to this um i don't have to hope to get into film festivals anymore although you know we still did do film festivals because there is value in that but it no longer became the film festival was the pinnacle goal um, and the hope and the dream that someone would discover me in my film at the festival. So, yeah. um, so I think that was really the start of it all. When did, when did ride the, ride the divide there? I said it. Um, when did, uh, when did that come out? The, that veil film festival was the premiere and that was April 4th, I believe 2010. So we're coming up on the 10 year, yeah. um, sort of reunion of that, of that film. Nice. So you were, you're just way, uh, way ahead of the curve. It took, it took me another 10 years to realize basically everything that you just said. Um, so you've made four features at this point, correct? Uh, so three in the, in the cycling realm and then kind of two other, one in the music side of things and then another still kind of in the outdoor adventure and then kind of helping a few other people out here and there in various capacities. Nice. So a handful yeah. of feature length. But it's, uh, 
it's the biking, the bike packing ones that are your, your sort of your bread and butter, right? That's what really kind of took off. And I think, you know, since that is my passion, you know, I think if you are passionate about the topic and the subjects that you're putting out there, it's, it's going to show because, you know, it wasn't just, Oh, I think I should make a horror film because a horror film is popular. It's like, this was something that, you know, that, that first one that was a pure passion um, play. And I think those, you know, kind of, kind of show and come out. I was almost kind of thinking of the endless summer, you know, the surf, the surfing film from way back then that the ride, the divide film has often been kind of referred to that kind of cult status now from, you know, the word bike packing. I don't even think was being used all that much when we, when we filmed that, but I think, you know, that film really brought bike packing to the masses and made it pretty well known. And now all the bike, uh, big bike companies are are creating bike packing specific bicycles and, and things like that. So it was, you know, there's a lot of right, the right place at the right time involved with that. But yes, that niche um, has been, been uh, great. And, and since it is my passion, I'm, I'm driven to continue to, you know, still be part of that community, engage with that community. So it's kind of a, a win-win. Exactly. So for the uninitiated what the hell is bike packing? <laughs> In essence, it's it's really bike touring, but a whole lot more stripped stripped down, and and instead of big, um, you know, panniers where you're taking you know the kitchen sink on on a bike tour with you, think lightweight lightweight um, hiking. Like if you're going to go, you know, do multiple days on a on a hiking trail, you're not going to be carrying around a a 50 pound backpack, you're going to be, you know, fairly stripped down and, and efficient and mobile. So in essence, that's really kind of what bike packing is, is, is taking, you know, what you would put almost in a backpack for hiking and then put it very efficiently on your bicycle. But then there's an ultra endurance aspect of it now where, you know, how fast can we travel off road from Canada to Mexico along the continental divide and, and these underground races and events have kind of bubbled up. And, and I think that's another aspect of, of ride the divide and my film inspired to ride has this point A to point B against all odds being that they do cover uh, an event. So, so I think there's some an intrinsic value um, from a storytelling aspect when, when that is involved. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. And it gives you so much, um, I don't know. It gives you just so much leeway in the, in the storytelling process to create these, these heroes against all odds, um, doing something that most people think is just completely batshit insane. Like, I think it's, I think it's fucking crazy to ride across the continental, continental U S or ride from Canada to Mexico. Like, just awesome. Okay. So you have a, like before you, before you got into, um, making your living from these documentaries, which is the point that you eventually got to, um, you were working in, uh, in digital marketing, right? What was that? What were you doing before that? So prior to that, I was at stars entertainment as a, as a producer, but we were kind of in the you know, in-house ad agency, if you will. So it was the marketing department. So we were aligning with Dish Network and DirecTV and Comcast, putting together a lot of the video promotional materials to get people to call, you know, 1-800-GET-STARS and, and things like that. So so it was almost like an ad agency mentality uh, when I was at, at Stars Entertainment. 
And then prior to that, I was at the Hallmark Channel, which is different than the Hallmark Channel we know now. And that was promotions and trailers and, and things like that. And then backing up from there, it was a variety of video production companies and PAs on big films and, and things like that. But I think, yeah, that in-house ad agency at Stars Entertainment kind of you know, got me thinking marketing speak and, and working with partners at, at uh, broadcast and, and distribution uh, network and, and things like that. Interesting. So what, was there anything directly that you were learning or, or doing at um, stars that translated directly over to what you eventually were doing with um, your slate of films? No, not at all. Um, other than just kind of honing from an editing standpoint, just really, you know, doing a ton of, of editing, you know, more predator producing editing type things is, is just, you know, when you are working with 30 second commercials, 60 second commercials, it's, I think it's just really, you know, the main thing I think from that era was, was just editing, really honing the editing chops of being concise and uh, thinking of trailers, editing trailers, hundreds and hundreds of, oh, no. of trailers. Uh, my mic just cut oh, out again. It's back again, though. It okay. cut out. It cut out for just a second. <sighs> so to edit in, I think yeah, just um, from an editing standpoint. But but yeah. then I think it's just you know the vernacular and um, you know being around that mentality of creative briefs and how do you reach an audience and uh, different marketing tactics of, of print and email and, and websites. So, so I don't know that I learned a specific strategy or tactic other than just sort yeah. of being in that mentality and that kind of thinking. Yeah. So how'd you, how'd you sort of make the transition from this world? I guess like institutionalized marketing is what you might call that. I'm not sure, but, um, how'd you, how'd you go from that world to the sort of guerrilla marketing, going directly to an audience, selling directly to your fans? Uh, you know, going back to 2010, you know, we don't have the tools that we we have now. You know, Shopify didn't exist really back then. Um, using Shopify now, but what did exist is WordPress. So, you know, hacking together uh, some WordPress um, websites with a merchandise component to it. So, so there were some templates out there for bands and musicians actually um, that had event. Um, sections and tabs where they were out on, on concert and then they're for their merchandise if you wanted to buy an album or a t-shirt or things like that. So we were actually using some of the, the WordPress sites that were designed for musicians and bands when we would put our own theatrical screenings together. The, the events tab worked out pretty perfect. And then from a merchandise side of things, um, you know, selling tickets as well as DVDs and t-shirts and, and things like that. So it really kind of then was from the, the, the uh, WordPress sites um, going back to 2010 is where it kind of all started. But then Facebook um, was, was a thing. Twitter was a thing and um, putting a lot of energy into engaging with an audience uh, there was, I think, really where, where it really really kind of started. And then, you know, partnerships, you know, it isn't, you know, we're doing it all on our own as you're building out an audience and, and building your community, working with, you know, we call them influencers. Now, I think with Instagram, you know, we hear Instagram influencers, influencers back, back in 2010, it was partners, you know, who can, who can I align with that has a similar interest or has their own audience that, that we can find a win-win scenario. 
that's a huge, huge thing. And I would love to go back to just saying partners. I don't think anything quite like bothers me as much as the word influencer now. Like it just, <laughs> <I agree. laughs> it just gets under my skin. And, um, but then again, like I, I taught my own course and like, there's an entire module on influencers cause it's, it's so foundational, but I think we need to change the, change the phrase just so it's what? not confused with like silly rich kids with like taking selfies of themselves being rich and for some reason getting paid for it more. I don't know. Right. It's, right. I think it's, you know, it's a mindset. I think when you hear influencer, it's like, Oh, what can you do for me, mm-hmm. Mr. Influencer? Whereas I think is the uh, back to, you know, like film festivals, it's like, Ooh, I, I hope I get into a film festival. So this film festival can do something for me. Yeah. Um, whereas I think the mind shift we need to have is you're doing it for you. You have to do it yourself and yeah. you have to have the mindset of you need to put in the work, you need to put in the effort. Really no one is going to do it for you, but if you find partners and win-win situations, it's easier to do it together. Yeah, exactly. The right way to think about it. Exactly. So what were just, just out of curiosity, um, what types of partners did you, did you find within this, within this context of the bikepacking community or the, or the endurance community or like what, what kinds of partners were there? So going back to, to the Boulder scenario, some, some of the advocacy groups like trail building groups, um, bike shops obviously was, was kind of a no brainer, but I think if, if you can find like those advocacy groups and, and, not necessarily nonprofits, but, you know, organizations who are used to hustling for, you know, community and and to gather people together for a common cause to promote and or advance, you know, particularly, you know, for instance, you know, great trails or safety on, you know, bicycles on streets. So again, finding that win-win alignment is, is how can we work together so here's an advocacy group that, you know, it's a great excuse to pull their tribe of people together for an event. And, and while they're at the event, you know, they can talk about what they've got going on. So, so I think that's another thing is, is again, turning these things into an event as much as, as possible, just like a film festival yeah. is an event and has extra things going on throughout the day or weekend or week. Yeah. And I'd add that like, now that we're, pushing close to 2020 and like everybody's seemingly completely disconnected all the time. Like the value of creating events where you can bring people with like shared identities and shared interests together. Like the, the value of actually doing that is going up. Like there's, there's so much, um, there's so much to be gained from, from connecting people to each other and creating experiences that they can't have online. And, just from like, just from a human perspective and giving people something that's, that's really worth cherishing, but also from like an economic perspective and a business perspective, because when you give something that, um, people aren't getting elsewhere, again, it creates that, that scarcity and that, that, um, that rarity that allows you to sort of drive up the the price for the experience. And so I don't know, that's just something I wanted to, to toss in there. Yeah. Creating experiences. Absolutely. You know, going back to musicians and bands again, you know, when you get to see, um, you know, a favorite band I just saw. So yesterday here in Denver, Twist and Shout record store had the Mumford and Sons 
um, playing super intimately, you know, inside this store to, you know, they announced it like 24 hours prior, a few, you know, a handful of tickets, hundred tickets or something inside. So those sort of intimate experiences are um, valuable, super, so valuable for, you know, generating buzz and excitement and, and um, giving the people who were there, um, you know, passion to, to talk about it and <laughs> yeah. get excited about it yeah. and tell their friends. And I used to live like right across the street from Twist and Shout and the C Film Center and like that whole complex. Like it was my, nice. I basically lived there. Also, I'm pretty sure this is like the most hipster thing ever to say, but I'm pretty sure like I helped start the trend of listening to Mumford and Sons back in like 2009. Like I was Way there at the forefront. I take they credit for that. They should have invited you and put you on a, right? on a, on a stool right next to the, right off, right off the stage. Darn it. Exactly. Man. Ah, just another in a long line of missed opportunities. <laughs> okay. So you mentioned events and I think that's a good segue into the whole, all right, let's see if I can say this whole mouthful, the whole worldwide premiere ah. and, and <laughs> what you did to launch um, your most recent film, um, Inspired to Ride. Can you just give a, just an overview of what that is and, and what you pulled off? It, you know, after the fact is, is where I started kind of compi- compiling what it what it kind of was but at the time it was i think as we started off this conversation is how can i you know use all these different sort of you know tools or ideas or 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 thing or methods that exist to to kind of work for you know for what i'm trying to to create now so there's a there's a there's a lot to it um but when inspired to ride your the you know the last film was ready to to release you know kind of again thinking you know what is a world premiere you know to a film festival all the film festivals want your film to be the world premiere otherwise you know they they don't want to look at you so so it's like okay if i were to create you know something epic that hasn't necessarily been done for for me anyway uh with a world premiere how can we really blow it out. So, so backing up a little bit. So utilizing the tool Kickstarter. So we put, I put together just a really short 10 day Kickstarter campaign to create buzz. And, um, you know, it was, I think I put $10,000 was, was the goal. And it was really to get all of the athletes that were featured in this film to Denver to put on a massive sort of world premiere event. So that was kind of the the goal and the impetus for the Kickstarter campaign. Really quick 10 days, you know, we just want to be able to bring the stars and the athletes that were in this film to the world premiere. And and uh, I think that ended up doing $25,000 in that 10-day period, but we didn't skimp. We didn't just throw it together. It was still a campaign and we, you know, put great rewards and and effort and energy uh, behind it. So that really kind of got the buzz going. And then the world premiere also thinking of an event was now that we got, if we get these people here, we're also going to put on a summit. We're going to put on what we call the bikepacking summit because, you know, cyclists geek out on gear and how to and things like that so so if the film starts at seven o'clock starting at 
you know, two or three in the afternoon, we're actually going to have, you know, these nine half hour sessions, again, back to what a film festival almost kind of does. So uh, we're going to have a session on gear and nutrition and, and mindset, and then do some uh, specific interviews with, with these superstar athletes in, in this particular, in this particular niche. So that was, again, part of it. Um, it was a 300 seat theater and we did the the summit actually in this in this theater that had a stage where we could where we could set up um and then there was a live component so if we're going to have a, a a world premiere how can we get the entire world to be to be part of it so and facebook live and youtube live wasn't around back in you know back when it was just kind of getting started so so uh facebook was there but so we were using facebook and and twitter to kind of um, promote and talk about it, but then using live stream uh, for for the streaming aspect of it. So the summit was was live streamed, and and people could purchase tickets online to get act to gain access to these live streams, and then they could also purchase a forty eight hour rental. Um, you know, so you it, wherever you are in the world, you can watch the film at the same time that this live audience is watching it. So there's that's kind of the first half yeah. <laughs> uh, to it. There's, there's more to it, but the big idea was, is how can we, you know, utilize the tools that exist um, in, in a new way and really bring the whole world to this event. Yeah. No, I didn't realize that you also had a, had sort of like an educational and summit component to it as, as well. Cause I don't think we've ever talked about that, but like, I sort of like for, for my whole, I don't know. Um, system for lack of a better word. Um, like my whole launch model right now is, is very much inspired by a combination of what we just talked about by connecting and building relationships with this network of influencers. Again, again, there's that word. Um, <laughs> and, and then creating an event, like an online virtual event where you, you, you tap into these people's audiences, you interview them, you create all sorts of really interesting, engaging supplemental content. Um, and like there's, once you do that, there's so many different ways that you can monetize it or you can use it to grow your list. Like if you like, I don't know, just look into how virtual summits have been done in various other niches on online. And there's so much potential there and inspiration there for how we can like translate that into the world of filmmaking. So it's, it's really cool to hear that you were doing that before. I had no idea. And it just, again, shows that you're way further ahead the curve or ahead on the curve. You mentioned repackaging and that's, you know, and, and then, you know, a few years after that, as, as, as Netflix and, and iTunes and, and everybody, I think, has really trained people to, you know, a film is worth $3.99 rental or, yeah, or if free that, to, to if stream, that. So, which really kind of then sparked, you know, people are more willing to pay for information than they are entertainment was really kind of my thesis. So, so all the videos from that summit and, and different things, what we would normally perhaps put on DVD extras for free can be repackaged and, and put out there as, as valuable information that people are willing to pay $79 for or $99 for. So that was kind of a year, a few years after that was efforts and, and work that, that I started doing. And uh, to, to great success, just repackaging actually those videos from that summit um, in a new way. Yeah. So you mentioned that that was just the the first half 
of the the whole worldwide premiere was the Kickstarter and the event itself. What was the second half? So then, you know, as, and then, so then we selling our own tickets. Um, so backing up the idea also is how can you, you know, retain your audience. So if you're selling, you know, tickets through Eventbrite, well, you're now, you've now got their email address. If, if they're, if you're, I think we used VHX back in, in the day for that 48 hour rental, which Vimeo then bought. Um, so then that when people, and I think we had people from, it sounds like an exaggeration, but I don't think it is. I think we had people from, I want to say 52 different countries, I think tuning in. Um, that sounds like an exaggeration, but I'm pretty sure that number is right. This goes back a few years. So people from all over the world were, you know, buying that $20 uh, ticket, just like they people were at the audience. Um, and it was a 48 um, hour rental. And again, you know, we now have their email address. And then on the landing page that we created where the streaming was happening, we had a bundle. So um, a signed poster from all the athletes who were at the event with a t-shirt and a DVD. And I think there were a few other things in there. So any people from all over the world who were now bought this 48 hour rental and watching this live streaming could also purchase this bundle, which I think was $79 or, or something, something like that, which is, again, you're all, you, you've created this Kickstarter campaign with, with these elements and, and these items that you've now um, need to, to fulfill on. So, so it, that kind of continued it, but with the impetus of we now have this audience that we've um, entertained and, and engaged with, but we, we now have their email address and or shipping address. So the merchandise sale is, is a big piece of it, but now the long tail aspect of it, how do we continue to communicate with this audience and, and see if we can get them to, to, to share and, and continue the buzz and set up their own theatrical event, you know, now that the film is out there, we can come to your city or come to your event, or you can license it for $399 for, for your own um, purposes, um, et cetera. And then that repackaging aspect of it as well. Uh, that's super cool. I didn't realize you had like a, I don't know, like institutional licensing available as well. Um, yep. And that, and we kind of just turned that into something that you can go onto the website and just purchase. Um, yeah. So we, you know, when you when people send us emails, it's like, hey, how do we bring you know the film to to our city? It's like I just it's a link. Here it is, all the information. It comes with you know x amount of posters and DVDs and postcards and things like that. So um, then it just becomes an item that that we fulfill through the shopping cart. That's awesome. So you're also, from what I recall sort of a, a master of, of setting up your own like theatrical screenings and, and touring, touring the film around the country um, on your own without relying on outside distributors or anything like that. I'm curious if you can just give us like a, like an overview of your, your, I don't know, self, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just your, your playbook for, for, getting in touch with theaters and venues and, and setting up that relationship in a way that's actually going to be profitable for you. And then also the second half of that is obviously getting people to those events, getting butts in the seats. Right. Well, there's a lot to it. You know, you're definitely now putting on a different hat. You're now putting on that your promoter hat. So it's, it's, 
you know, there is no, again, silver bullet. You're sending emails, you're on the telephone uh, with, with uh, independent theaters. And, you know, once you've done it once and you now had your Rolodex and your list of theaters and or the people at those theaters who are open to this, it's, it's much easier to, to come back to them a couple years later. Hey, we've got the new film. Um, and, and then if you've got a track record where, yes, um, you knew what you were doing as a filmmaker, you brought an audience, you were respectful, so they were you know, more apt to bring, be open to, to pulling you back again. So, so it's really just reaching out, setting, setting it up. And, and, you know, it's, you know, it's called for, you know, what everyone knows is sort of for walling and um, where you're renting out the the space. And, and sometimes it'll be a split and sometimes it'll be just, uh, just renting it out. But then it is getting back to those partners in each city that the film goes to. How can you get two or three partners involved and again, turn it into event and they can set up a table and a booth and they can have the microphone and they can have some of their swag or, or items to hand out as well. So again, it's back to creating an event where, wherever you happen to go, but then selling your own tickets. If you're doing it event bright, um, brown paper tickets, I think is still, is still a thing. Um, and, and again, your the merchandise aspect of it so so it's and then it's just like a back to the band and being a musician you you kind of put this tour together and and you know you're you're from you just played tucson one night and then the next night you're in san diego and <laughs> and different things so it's um that's just was just became kind of part of the game so but the beauty of being out on the road is you now have content and you you now have buzz for your social media platforms and and you're generating that engagement and you're making it easy for people to to kind of share the word and spread the word and and doing unique things at the event where where um you're making it easy for for those people to to share and and promote and get excited yeah i'm curious about the um the economics of putting on your own little, your own little tour. Cause like, I, like, I think it depends very much on, on the theaters that you're running out, whether you're doing a revenue split or whether you're paying up front. Um, but I know, uh, I know a lot of filmmakers who have tried it and ended up losing money. Not to say that it's like a bad thing, because if you can create again, that, that experience for those people, you can create fans, they end up on your email list, they end up following you, they end up telling all their, all their friends. Um, so there, there are a lot of uh, benefits that come up with putting an event, but I'm curious what the, I don't know, how do you, how do you make something like this really beneficial to your bottom line as opposed to a, a big ass risk? I think I have an advantage again with just the content of, of my particular films being more in that sports side of things where I think it's a little easier to, to pull pull an audience, a passionate audience. Whereas again, just to, to use the niche horror or, um, you know, science fiction. So I think you need that unique hook to, to your film. Does, you know, does, does your film have a story or, or a hook or something unique to it that, that you can rally an audience behind? So I think that that is important. If you've got, just a regular run-of-the-mill film, I think it's not going to work for you. Um, so I think your particular story, and you have to, or and if it is regular, how can you pull that unique 
position out of the film and engage an audience or create something of a, again, back to the win-win, can you make it a fundraiser for a particular demographic or, or a particular group? So you gotta get, you gotta get creative with it. And some cities and, and situations, um, it becomes very profitable you know, two, $3,000 profitable in a night. And then some cities, um, you know, you may lose $200 on, on the situation, but then that's where having merchandise with you, posters and t-shirts and things like that, um, kind of bring the equation back, back up again. And, and then I think having that long-term strategy, it's like, okay, here, here's a situation where I perhaps broke even, um, you know, at this particular city, but I've, but, you know, 110 people showed up. I now have an email, those 110 people's email address. How can I, what is my strategy to reach back out to them over the next three months and, you know, continue to give them information and, and, um, be a, a cool person and ask them, um, you know, thank them for coming and, and, um, get them potentially to check out the, the merchandise uh, website and, and things like that. And, or, you know, even two years down the road, when the next film comes out, they are now on your list for the Kickstarter campaign you're, you're about to do. So it's having that long tail mentality of, okay, this, this isn't necessarily a failure because I broke even here because my long-term strategy, it's going to work out for me or because I've got this mentality this is how we can make it work long-term. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, so the next thing I've got on my little list of questions, and this is something that I've wanted to talk to you about for a long time was the free plus shipping funnel that you did for inspired to ride. Um, I guess a good place to start is cause I, I assume a lot of the people listening have no, no clue what the hell that means. So what is, <laughs> what is a free plus shipping funnel and like just the, the mechanics of it from like step-by-step Sure. So back to being a student, um, you know, always be learning. So it really kind of came, it really kind of came from that of, you know, continuing to learn the tools of, of you know, marketing and website and things like that. So it would more was kind of created from, for books and authors. So a free plus, you know, shipping strategy website was here's an author with, with a book where, you know, if you take, if you order this book, it's, it's free. You just cover, you know, the shipping cost of $7 and 95 cents. But, and again, what we just talked about long tail, long-term strategy. So, so as someone, you know, finds, uh, finds this particular page with this particular book, um, it's an easy entry to, to purchase it you know, for a, a small shipping fee of whatever you are willing to do, $4.99, $7.99. But then that long tail strategy is as they, you know, can purchase the, the book, again, you've now got their email address, their, their shipping address that you can follow up with them. But through throughout this webpage is, is there's sort of, a, 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 so it's like, hey, do you also want the audio version of this book for, you know, $10? Or would you also like, um, if this book is on, you know, how to raise a, a healthy teenager, you know, as they purchase the book, there's now an option for them to add, um, 
this small course about, you know, this video course, uh, five hour video course for $100 or $150, whatever. So, so it's really sort of a, a, last, a ladder step with um, what you can offer somebody. Um, I'm not really explaining it very well, <laughs> but uh, it's just, a, it's a, and it's, I integrated it a couple of years after the film had, uh, had already launched. So, so if we had already sort of, you know, intrigued our, our kind of, you know, low hanging fruit, our, our super fans with it. So now how can we reach a, a bigger audience that, you know, are still cyclists or, or love the outdoors and, and get them to, um, and it becomes, then even a big Facebook uh, and, and Instagram ad strategy to drive traffic uh, to, to this uh, website and, and things like that. Um, so that's kind of it in a, in a nutshell. So I really kind of utilized that with a signed DVD was, was really my hook. So get this signed DVD or Blu-ray for free, just cover, cover the shipping. And then as they moved through the process, um, there was a bundle where you can get, you know, all of my films and, and posters um, for X amount or, or just a, a t-shirt or, or except, you know, something again, it's a, it's not necessarily became highly profitable. It was profitable for, for a section there, but we, I was spending a lot on advertising, but more importantly generated thousands and thousands of new fans and email addresses. And again, when the next Kickstarter campaign comes up, here's a brand new, fresh set of people that I wouldn't have necessarily reached through regular means uh, before. Exactly. No, that's that's killer. So you actually did manage to get your your free plus shipping funnel to um, to profitability, essentially. Yeah, definitely. So when it when it first um, launched, it uh, it it was um, quite profitable, and then as we continued sort of the ad spend. It, uh, it started tapering off, I think, um, again, just with the very niche um, aspect of that it was. Um, I don't know that. And, and interestingly enough, I hadn't really drove traffic to it in probably the last 10 months or a year. And just like a few weeks ago, I kind of fired up the, the campaign again on, on Facebook and, and it's... Um, and it's kind of working and it's kind of working again. I just kind of did it for, for the fun of it and try trying a new little sort of tweak to it, but it's um, yeah, it's still, and, and I think that's something we can learn. You know, these films are, we hear residual, you know, this piece of content that we labored over is, is created and built. So how can we continue to get it in front of, of new people? And if we take that ownership uh, it's our job to introduce people to our story, our content that is now available on all these various platforms, Amazon and iTunes and this website and, and all these various places, people are going to discover it through different means, but we've put it out there. And if we control all of these channels and all of these streams, well, the re revenue continues to come to us and not a distributor that may or may not trickle it back down to us after they, they take all their expenses and cut. Yeah, exactly. So I'm curious what some of those other revenue streams are. Cause you've talked about, um, you've talked about just sort of like digital sales and, um, things like that, but what about, what are you doing in terms of merch and more specifically, like what are the, what are the systems that you have set up on, um, just on the back end to make sure that it's not like a horrifying logistical nightmare? 
Shopify has, has been super brilliant um, from the online merch side of things. Um, so that's been awesome. I, you know, not to go into too much detail, but Shopify just makes it super, super freaking easy. Um, setting it up, adding your merchandise um, element into it, the shipping, the back end side of it is super straightforward. Um, so are you, are you fulfilling all of that yourself? Like a bunch of orders come through, you make a big trip to the post office or is it like drop shipped or like print on demand or no, it's, uh, it's all me. (laughs) Gotcha. And, and interestingly enough, I will, I will, um, you know, probably 96% of every package I've shipped out over the last 10 years has gotten a signed note. Um, so thousands and thousands and thousands of, of notes over, over 10 years. It's, you know, and it's, it's always like their name, thank you. And then, and then, and then my name. And, um, so I think, you know, having that appreciation is like, you know, somebody whipped out their credit card and purchased this thing from you, whether it was on Kickstarter or, or your website, obviously Amazon and iTunes, you can't, you can't do that. But, um, so I think having that thankful gratitude mentality is, is really can, can go a long way again to, you know, just being appreciative of this community and this audience. So, um, so yeah, i fulfilled you know me between me my wife and and kids kind of helping a lot during spikes uh, along the way yeah i think you just touched on a really sort of important mindset shift that uh that a lot of us even myself included need to make and that's that your audience isn't just some random digital horde of of followers or or people they're not data like and your job isn't so much to gain more and more followers, but it's to build deeper and deeper relationships. Um, and like, it's, it's, it goes back to what you were saying before about playing the long game, but the, the deeper the relationships and the more you can do little things like that, that show you're a human, that you care, that you're not some faceless corporation or, or I don't know, whatever, but the more you do that, the more you get people to care. And the more people care, the more they're just, not going to hesitate the next time you make some kind of offer the next time you make an ask you want them to contribute to a kickstarter um but it's it's about playing the long game and just doing those those little extra things um that that people just aren't accustomed to online because they're very often treated just like uh just like i don't know cattle that's a terrible example but (laughs) like yeah but just just going slightly above and beyond the norm has disproportionate effects, especially on, on the long tail is what I would say. Yeah. So, you know, your community should feel like they're supporting a friend and not just some, I don't know, yeah, <laughs> some faceless sort of entity with, with a, a product. Granted there's, you know, people are going to, you know, that's going to happen, but you know, this word of mouth, you know, how are people going to talk about you as the filmmaker and the face behind this particular project, are they going to talk about, about you favorably or unfavorably? Exactly. And just those, those little, those little things, especially like a a note or like something extra from, from the filmmaker, like that's, 
that's how you create word of mouth. That's how you make what you do slightly different and better than everything else. And especially if you're doing it within the context of a, a niche community, um, that's that's how you get to the point where the community, by and large, does your marketing for you, um, and you can you can sort of soak in that that lovely long tail revenue. Let's see you what are yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> All right, so the only other thing I've got on my list is um, the movie marketing method, um, and I'm just I'm just curious because I, I I know you're you're not selling it anymore, but I'm just curious what it was, what the hypothesis was, because this is how I, this is how I found you back in the day. Um, cause you were putting out just shitloads of great content on, on Facebook and elsewhere. And you were streaming live from, from Sundance one year to say like, Hey, Sundance is great, but it's also not a business plan essentially. <laughs> yes. Um, so I don't know what the question there was, but essentially like what was the movie marketing method in, in the grand scheme of things? I think it was really, as I described our big launch campaign for the film Inspired to Ride and the thesis of people are more willing to pay for information than entertainment. I think I really just wanted to flush that thought process out in more detail and and um, and not only kind of pass on what I've what I've learned, but also just continue to flex my marketing and campaign muscles by, okay, here's what I've done with, with documentary films. How can I, how can I take this learning and use it for, you know, what you would call, you know, created a brand movie marketing method, created a website, started with zero um, audience and, and kind of went through the process of, okay, if I start from ground zero, um, and and I was and backing up a little bit. Ride the Divide was ground zero for the bikepacking niche. Inspired to Ride was, you know, seven years later having a bigger audience and and helped it become the success that it was. So so really kind of going back to ground zero with something different and a new brand and a new idea and and kind of taking it um, to launch. And then a few other things kind of happened with some deaths and you know a bit of funk in in my world so i kind of put it on the shelf as <laughs> you just said, i'm not kind of really selling it or promoting it anymore but it's still it's still there it can be it can be kickstarted uh, maybe that isn't the right word it can be brought back to life um you know with a flip flip of a switch so but i think it was just again constantly learning constantly learning um how to market how to use digital tools how to build an audience yeah. So I'm just curious what's next then. Are you, um, cause I, I know we've talked a little bit before and you were, you're just sort of, um, ambivalent about whether you'd get back into to filmmaking for this niche or whether you'd go down, go down different paths. Um, so I guess what's, what's next is the question there. Sure. So, yeah. So currently, you know, been working contract work for, for marketing and, and building websites out and, and, um, helping, um, you know, creating short stories for, for, uh, people. So that's been kind of the last years or so. And then with, you know, the residual aspects of, of everything continuing to kind of work for that, but what I'm kind of just for the last year and even, you know, just recently the last sort of month or two kind of again, evolving and, and thinking with the future and, and what's kind of coming up I don't know that it makes sense for me to go out and make another feature length documentary film. 
Um, what I'm kind of getting excited about now is, is really thinking of this bikepacking community that is really worldwide. There really is no hub. There really is no place or destination or what I'm kind of calling Mecca for, for, for this particular group. So, so my thought is, is can I create a bikepacking headquarters kind of around a media network, a media channel? Um, so for lack of a better word, let's sort of say, you know, the bike, the Netflix of bikepacking. <laughs> so at its core is a subscription, um, sort of media channel um, and instead of you know feature feature length documentary films it's it's a lot of bite size there's now events and, and people taking their 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 own um, um, you know there's enough people out there now creating a bunch of their own content that can we now curate and create our own and and almost you know I'm not sure if many of the listeners remember when MTV launched and I just remember like, um, you know, the headbangers ball, it's like you had this studio and, and, and musicians and bands came to the studio and, and, and you kind of had this rapport and then you also saw them in concert and out in, out in the world. So it's, it's really kind of, can we create a subscription based media channel that has a physical location? Um, and I'm going to, you know, like in Denver where there, there's the live studio and there's a place that we can put on events and, and uh, screenings and, and even a retail aspect to it where there's bikepacking gear and merchandise. So really kind of creating this uh, bigger idea where people would want to come to Denver specifically to hang out in this sort of head bikepacking headquarters that has been created uh, for them. So that's kind of where I'm so it's it's uh, kind of going not into left field, but kind of taking raising the bar up to a whole different level rather than just thinking of, oh, here's a documentary film I need to go make and promote now. Well, exactly. But it, it comes back to that that question of um, and maybe maybe most people aren't even thinking of this question, but it's um, like, how can I how can I serve this community that I've been been cultivating and been part of? And like you can you can go down so many different paths with that. Um, and some, some may be profitable. Some maybe not like some might be filmmaking some, some might be short form content. Like at this point you could probably make like a 10 minute short film. And just by nature of the relationship you've built with your audience, you could probably sell it for five bucks and make money that way. Like it, I think what I'm, what I'm getting at is that once you, once you cultivate an audience, um, there's so much, potential and so much room for you to experiment and grow and try things and essentially break outside of the traditional, oh, I'm going to make a feature. And then three years later, I'm going to make another feature. Um, and it all comes down to that core question of like, who's this group of people that I've cultivated? Um, what do they want? What do they care about? And how can I meet those needs with, with what I do and what I care about? So it's, it's awesome that you're, you're thinking bigger picture. And, um, yeah, I love that idea, especially combining like, cause like VOD channels or like subscription VOD channels are kind of a, a dime a dozen, but like combining that with a, with a physical headquarters. And I'm sure you've got like relationships with all the manufacturers. So you could actually make that, that retail element. And like, that's, that's cool as fuck is what that is. So, <laughs> and like, I can see you're excited about it. So, yeah. 
Yeah, man. Yeah, so, so that's what has kind of, you know, got me pulled out um, and wanting to, you know, if I can, if I can serve this audience, you know, cause I still get Facebook posts and emails is like, when's the next film coming out? What are you doing next? And yeah. um, so I think this would be something that you're like, would blow, I think this audience away where it's like, Oh, it's just not another film about another, you know, sort of cool uh, epic uh, type of, of event. It's, it's something with legacy, you know, actually that could, so yeah, that's, and again, because it is new, um, it's like, wow, can I do that? I don't know. It's, has it, it's kind of, has it been done before like this? And, and how can I, how can I make it work? And how can I pull the people together and the resources and, and everything that would, it, it would take to pull it off? I think that's, um, I don't know. It's something that I had in my notes, but like, I think there's, there's a real element of uh, maybe courage there, um, to essentially go out and, and try things and pull things from like different, um, on a different sectors, different, different areas of marketing and bring them into filmmaking, even though you don't have that roadmap out in front of you. Cause I think that's something a lot of us are looking for is like that sense of you know, certainty, that sense that, Oh, I know exactly what I have to do to get X result. Um, but I think just in the grand scheme of things, like filmmaking entrepreneurship is so in its infancy, I guess is, and like, for the people who are, who are doing this, like we all have to kind of make our own path. We all have to try things without that, without that pre-existing roadmap. And I think you, what, like what you're doing is, is just so killer. It shows that you've got that, that instinct to, to go out and try things. So I, I don't know, there's no real question there, but I think it's, <laughs> I think it's awesome, man. Yeah. You, you, you gotta be open and we say filmmaker, but you know, I think filmmaker has such a technology piece to it. Whereas being a filmmaker, you had to know the tech You had to, you know, there was so much technology behind being a filmmaker that doesn't exist anymore. Dude, the technology is sitting in your pocket <laughs> to, to go out and, and be a, a filmmaker. So, so now it's, it's really storyteller, I think is, is how I think of it. Are you, what stories are you telling to you know, entertain and educate and, and bring a community and audience together. So there's really no more tech aspect to doing what we do. It's now telling compelling stories. Yeah. And it's the same on the entrepreneur side of things. Like entrepreneur used to mean like you go to the bank to get a loan and open a storefront and yada, yada, yada. Or it meant like you get like VC funding and start your app. But like all of that is is completely out the window now you can reach anybody online for basically nothing but your time and energy and if you can reach enough people online with the stories that you tell like that's that's it like the all the tools are there like for for getting paid for for setting up physical products um like the the barriers are are basically nothing except your time and energy and willingness to occasionally fail. Cause like, again, it's, there's no, there's no set path, but the, the door is wide open to this kind of stuff. Indeed. Well, hell yeah. Um, <laughs> that's all I've got on my list. Um, I guess to, to wrap things up, is there, is there anything that you want to leave this, uh, entrepreneurial storytelling group of wonderful people? Um, what, what would you tell them on their, on their journey? Um, I guess, you know, just be open, 
you know, be open to trying and, and be open to, to, uh, to learning. And, and as we know, like we just said, creating content and a story is, you know, takes no money anymore. So there's no barriers. So just get out there and do it and, and be a cool person, you know, within your community. I think that's a big thing is, um, be part of, of your audience, be part of your community, be, be a, you know, be a participant, be a leader in it, be a, be a helpful um, aspect to whatever community that, that you want to um, identify with. Um, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So uh, where can people go to find out more about you, to see your films, to, I don't know, if they're, if they're interested in bikepacking or whatever else you've got online, give me the pitch. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of hodgepodge. So personally, I haven't really kept up on, on much. So if you, you know, hit MikeDion.com, that's a pretty old, old website. But, um, but I think, you know, the newer film inspired to ride, if you Google inspired to ride, um, you know, you, you may find some, some various platforms and, and different places that film kind of lives and, um, you know, how I'm, putting it out there on, you know, so that free plus shipping website will likely pop up. The Shopify site will likely uh, pop up, but, um, but uh, yeah, I would say go hit inspired to ride.it is the, is kind of the main um, website um, to, to kind of start, uh, start the process. And, and you know, we kind of talked about, you know, the marketing, program, you know, if we're, if, you know, if we want to kind of flip the switch on, on that and get it kind of kicked back up again, I would have people contact you to see if they're interested in, in uh, learning more or diving in a, a little bit deeper in, you know, maybe a more training from, from you and I on some of this stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, sweet man. Thank you just a ton again, not even just for like this, but you have inspired the shit out of me over the last couple <laughs> of years. And I don't think I would have had the the same like I don't know revelations or the same the same journey I've been on to to figure this stuff out for myself without you. So, yeah, thanks and thanks for being here and you kind of rock. So right on. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. For the links and resources mentioned in this interview, as well as the full archive of Filmmaker Freedom episodes, just head over to filmfreedomshow.com. And while you're there, feel free to browse around the Filmmaker Freedom website and check out some of the other rad content, including the weekly newsletter. Every Sunday morning, I send out a variety of the most useful, inspiring, thought-provoking stories I've come across that week, as well as some other cool stuff. It'll help you build your skills, master your psychology, and keep up with this ever-changing business. So if you're ready for an email that you'll actually look forward to each week, just head over to filmfreedomshow.com newsletter. Also, if the ideas in this show resonate with you, you're a great candidate for Freedom Fighters, which is my private community just for entrepreneurial indie filmmakers. It's totally free to join, but there is an application process to get in. So if you're interested in surrounding yourself with a group of like-minded entrepreneurial filmmakers who will push you to succeed and help you grow, just go to filmfreedomshow.com community. And lastly, I'd just like to give one more shout out to my friends over at Music Vine for sponsoring this show. 
The groovy intro and outro music came straight from their library, of course, and there is loads more where that came from. So if you're a discerning filmmaker who needs quality music, just go to musicvine.com and use the code FILMFREEDOM for 25% off your next order. Once again, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. And I will see you in the next episode of Filmmaker Freedom. Peace. <laughs>